Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Brian Hamilton grew up in a small town in Idaho and studied broadcasting before turning to comedy. Hamilton calls several comedy scenes home, and that perhaps allowed him to emerge nationally in the mid-2000s in Sierra Miss America's Next Great Comic Search. He's also won the Great American Comedy Festival Contest and performed multiple times at Montreal's Just for Last Festival, where I caught up with Hamilton before the debut of his first Netflix special, Happy Face. So let's get to it! So Ryan Hamilton, yeah. we meet again in Montreal. We meet again. I know. I feel like I keep uh, doing this. I feel like you're as much of a regular here at Just for Last as I am. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think I missed one year in the last eight, maybe. I can't. Wow. I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> I just keep every year. I go. I'm going to take a year. I'm not doing this next year. It's always fun, but I just think you know, I don't have. What am I bringing? Well, what do they keep? Why do they keep asking you? Is there, That's a great are question. You, are you like exotic because you're from Idaho? I don't, don't know, know what, what it is. <laughs> I honestly, I just keep doing these things. I'm like, this year I was like, surely, surely I'm not going back this year. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was because of the Netflix. Right, special. you have a Netflix special coming yeah. out, so. But it also means that I don't have like all my materials gone. So, <laughs> like, yeah, it's convenient for them. Um, well. Well, no, is it okay? Is it true or not? Is it true or just uh, made up in the media that uh, you're because you were so great in the galas a few years ago that they just started inviting you back for solo shows? Is that in the media? <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard that before. I thought in the Montreal press, like they were giving you such raves because they because they review every. Show, I don't know what year they, it was, and they were saying you were. I remember they said you were a standout. I did uh, a, I did a gala or two, and mm-hmm. nothing seemed to really click. I mean, I had some good galas, but I did w- weirdly. I did the ethnic show <laughs> a few years ago. I don't remember. So they have Maybe found a way to, yeah. to squeeze you into. Like I think somebody canceled, and they mm-hmm. were like super desperate. And I did the ethnic show, and that year. Wait, were you raised LDS? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they did. They, <laughs> is they, that what they used as well. The they said. They said. First, they said. We want you to talk about that. And I said, mm-hmm. I, I don't have material. I don't want to talk about that, really. <laughs> and um, it's, I mean, I have, I just don't have material. I don't really talk about it normally. Right. It's like, I'm not trying to hide anything, but um, it's an important part of my life, whatever. But I right. just, you know, it's a thing where it's personal. And so I said, no, nah, I don't want to do it. And then they came back and they said, could you just talk about being white and being <laughs> from Idaho? <laughs> and I said, okay, I guess I'll go do this thing. But I was terrified because... Like, everybody is like, sees me walk on the stage and go, why is he doing this show? And then right. if it goes poorly, <laughs> you can't, like, you can't be the, the white guy from Idaho on the ethnic show on Bomb. <laughs> like, that's not an option, you know? <laughs> so maybe that forced me to step up my game or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think that year we got some good reviews. And I think after that is when I ended up doing right. a solo show. Now, see, when you're growing up a white boy in Idaho... Mm-hmm. Anything other than that is ethnic. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> because it's 95% white. Right, right, <laughs> right. 
Um, yeah. Did you... Um, let's get a little bit personal. Okay. Um, Maybe. Well, <laughs> growing up, like, Ashton, Rexburg, Idaho Falls. Yeah, you know Idaho um, a little bit. Yeah, I, I spent a couple of years in I Twin know. Falls. yeah. Um, but growing up in that part of Idaho, did you... Did you... Were you an outdoorsy kid, or... Yeah. I mean, you kind of... There's not really much choice. When you're that close to Yellowstone and the Tetons. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I... Um, we, you know, we have some land that my grandfather's owned, a little piece of land on a river, and mm-hmm. it, it's beautiful, and it's, like, really amazing trout fishing. And But we would just basically go out there and picnic every Sunday growing up my whole life. I, mean, I remember going out there when it, and planting trees and taking care of it, and that was just a part of my life growing up. And, you know, everybody works on farms. I would harvest potatoes, but I always had a job as a lifeguard in the summer when all my friends were moving irrigation pipes. So I had, like, the sweet gig in town. Uh, yeah, my mom was on the board that ran the, the pool. <laughs> okay. So I got a, had an, I had an in. So I got the lifeguard gig. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we were just outside all the time. And, and you know, I, I didn't think of myself as an outdoorsy guy, but it was like, now, by any other standard, I definitely was an outdoorsy right. guy. And I love the outdoors. Now. Well, I mean, you don't portray yourself on stage as an outdoorsy guy. No. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't throw that vibe. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a typical Bear Grylls type, but um, I, <laughs> I do love it. Like, when I go home, I make some time to go uh, fly fishing. Mm-hmm. I really just love being in the water, you know, and I love um, snowboarding. But I, I'm not quite. I just like being on the hill, you know. It's like I just like being there. Was there any sort of family pressure to stay on the farm? or? Well, we didn't have a farm. Okay. We were one of the only families that ranch? didn't. I worked on farms, mm-hmm. but um, there are ranches and farms. But my family uh, owned, not my immediate family, but my grandfather owned the variety store in town. Okay. It was like a little general store. Right. So that was kind of how the town knew our family. My mother was a teacher. My dad was from Southern California. Got a job as a, at a little power company. It's one of the only employers in the city, in the town, in the village <laughs> that isn't a uh, farm. So he worked there as a lineman and eventually became an engineer. So my mom taught school. We had the store with my grandfather. and then So we were one of the only families that wasn't farmers. But So I didn't grow up on a farm. But there's not a lot of opportunity f- unless you're inheriting the farm to right. live there. You know, so the, but there was so there wasn't any pressure to keep the town's population up. Well, there's a time when I thought the store was closing. I was like 15 or 16, and I was kind of sad to see the store close. But was it because of Walmart? Or yeah, pretty much. There's a Walmart in Rexburg, and um, so you know, it just couldn't exist. Right. So I feel bad about that. Are you and Nate Bargatze friends? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He has a bunch of jokes about how Walmart is great. Oh, and I didn't know. I, know. Like, that strikes I don't, like, I don't love like, Walmart. You're like, oh, I don't Walmart. love Walmart. Not for they that. Killed but. my family store. Yeah, I don't love Walmart for a lot of reasons. But, um, but Nate and I got past that. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, so and then you went to BYU. Yeah. What was the plan then? Well, I was going to be when I was young. I really wanted to be a columnist. I wanted to be Dave Barry. Oh, yeah. Me I too. thought he had the best job in the world. Yeah, me too. I mean, I sort yeah. of, we both sort of come yeah. close. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I um, I I had a column in the paper in high school. Mm-hmm. I just called the because we didn't have a high school paper, and I just said, "Can I have a column? I don't know how to learn about this." And they mm-hmm. said, "Sure." They gave me a column in the county paper. So in the I w- county paper. I was writing. Yeah, and then w- then there was a weekly, also mm-hmm. in. Uh, 
um, in the city. So I had two columns. They wanted one, too, after I found out I got one in the county. So... I had and were they kind of like just humorous takes on what's going on? Yeah, it was just going what was going on in the high school in the in the Herald Chronicle and the Fall River Review. I had a weekly column, paid ten dollars a week each, so I made twenty dollars a week, and I wrote two columns. That's real money. Yeah, I was fourteen years old. That's more money than some uh, open mic comics in New York. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I got a gig. The TV station, the TV, the NBC affiliate in Idaho Falls called what? me and was like, "We hear you're interested in journalism." How old are you at this point? I was I could drive, so I was like, <laughs> but you can drive at fourteen, right? But I was probably fifteen, sixteen, okay, because I was driving at night. I don't think you can drive at night until you're sixteen. But I I uh, was shooting high school sports, and they trained me how to use a little Hi8 camera. Mm-hmm. I would go shoot high school sports, and then on Friday nights, and then I would drive back to the station in Idaho Falls, and we would edit the video. And we would write the copy. And sometimes I would get to write a joke, and it would be on the air. And sometimes they would mention my name as our cameraman, Ryan Hamilton. <laughs> and we would do funny things, like I'd get video of me getting tackled, and it would be on the air. And <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, it's amazing for a 15-year-old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what was more fun at that point, having humorous columns in the newspaper or shooting stuff for the local TV station? Um... The columns were work. I remember stressing about them. So I would say the shooting stuff was more fun and just the environment of being around people. And I liked the fast pace of everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, later in college, I realized that 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 experience became very valuable because I, I knew how difficult it was to become a broadcast journalist and what they made and where their gigs, where they started out life. So I switched over to PR Okay. For because of that experience. <laughs> I mean, I liked broadcast, but it was like it just seemed... Just be why you have a broadcasting school? Yeah. They have a really good um, communications department. That's why I went there, actually. Their PR program's really good, but um, I just liked studying. I I thought the the theories behind PR were fascinating, and I liked studying it. I didn't really love applying it, but... Well, I mean, stand-up comedy is a different form of communication in PR. Yeah, yeah. You're trying to sell... Yeah. An idea right. to an audience, yeah, which is what PR is. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's it is it is kind of yeah behavior and what makes people do things in comedies like that. Yeah, why do people laugh at this stuff? You know, <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> at what point did uh, did stand up enter the picture then? Well, when I was eighteen was the first time I did it, and we I had a little radio show. At, at, a, at a community college. Well, it was Rick's College is what it was called yeah, okay, in Rexburg. Rick's. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, a few of us were interested in comedy, and we did a few shows for our little radio station. It had like a three-mile radius or something. Was it stand-up or sketch? It was stand-up. We did it at a place, in a pizza place on campus, not off campus. And um, we'd never seen stand-up, uh, you know, live. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> But we just did these shows, and I have video of it. Actually, somebody Ooh. sent me video a few years of it ago of it, and um, that was the first time I did it. But then I didn't do it again until I was like twenty four or twenty five. After I'd been through all of college, I had a job and everything. What made you take those six years off from stand up? I was just always busy. I mean, I wasn't thinking about it as a career. It was just something I loved. And then, um, what changed your mind? Um, I lost my job. At the, I was working at this ad agency, okay. and I was doing PR. I was a little bit disillusioned. I, I worked really hard to get into this agency that was really creative, and I Is thought I was going to love it. Yes, this okay. was in Salt Lake. And I loved it for a while, and then I started to feel like, I don't know, like a cold call salesman. 
calling reporters all the time, and I wasn't. I didn't feel like I was stretching myself. I, I don't know, and, and the routine of it was hard for me to get into every day. I don't know. Maybe I'm lazy, but it was just hard. I loved school. I loved studying it. I loved my internships, um, working in it. I, it was difficult for me, and I got laid off a year in. And I was doing comedy for fun at that time, just for like a year. And my whole goal was to be like a local host on the weekends. Yeah, like Wise Guys? Or? Yeah, but Wise Guys opened like six months after I started. Okay. So it wasn't even open when I started. So when they opened, they were starting to bring in headliners from out of town, and they needed support acts. There were no local guys, so I was getting all this weekend time. And then I lost my job. I was looking for another job, and I started to get offered some um, these triple gigs. Do you know triple yeah, gigs? Yeah, the triple run. Yeah, you would know triple gigs. Yeah, because yeah, I spent like six years in Seattle. Yeah. So That's those were all satellited out of Seattle. Right, one-nighters throughout the Northwest and Mountain West. Yeah. Somebody canceled once or twice, and they were like, will you go do this? Because it was one that I was close to or something. I was like, I have 15 minutes. And they were like, just go do it. <laughs> so I was doing these. It was me and one other guy, you know, and I was supposed to do half an hour so for 100 that, bucks. So was, what was that like in the very beginning? Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. It was. I was driving through... I was white knuckling six hours through stores, snowstorms in Montana to get to a little city on the border of North Dakota, and um, that was my first real exposure to life on the road. I did like a week of that, and it was crazy. And it was like I didn't know what I was doing. The first headliner I was with was this guy named Steve Sabo, who's a booker. I've seen that name? Yeah, he's a booker out of um, Ohio. He's still around. Mm-hmm. He does comedy. I think I'm Facebook friends with him. Yeah, I think probably. that's where I recognize him. He's a great the name. guy. But, you know, he um, he was like, don't worry about the time. I'll pick up the time. So I was doing, like, whatever I could do, and then he would do a rest. And um, I remember I got – I've told this story many times, but I got head-butted my first night <laughs> doing comedy on the road by this woman who offered to buy me a drink at the bar, and I don't drink, and I said, no, thank you, and she got upset. Oh, so she, it wasn't during the show? It was after the show. Okay. Well, at I least it wasn't I just wanted to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. She grabbed me by the back of the head and cracked me on the head. And everybody at the bar is pointing and laughing at me. And I walked out of the bar and went to my Super 8 in the snow. Yeah. And you still did stand-up after that? I don't know why. I didn't quit. I really thought I might after that week. I was like, this is what it is, huh? Okay. But there was something romantic about it. And it was something where I wasn't... I was just like, well, I have time. I have no responsibilities. Mm Mm-hmm. I can make a little money, and let's do this for a year and see what happens. That's kind of the attitude. And what happened after a year? Well, I, at that time, I moved to Seattle. And so what year was this? This was 2003. Okay. When I moved to Seattle. Yeah, I moved out of there in 2001, so okay. that's how yeah, we just missed you. we just missed each other. But um, I moved up there because I was doing those gigs, and uh, also the Pat Wilson gigs. I got right. Into. So I was doing these, little, I could make a little money. And then I did the uh, Seattle International Comedy Competition. I just wanted a city I could get on stage every night. That's why I moved to Seattle. And um, I did that competition, and I won the industry night. I didn't even make the finals, but I won the industry night. So I made some connections in L.A., Mm -hmm. and I went down to L.A. ended up getting a manager, actually, and um, doing some auditions for CBS and stuff. I got a studio test out of it. My first, my second ever audition. I got a studio test. I've never got one since. <laughs> but I was just test- you wait. Just yeah, you wait. Yeah. This, after the Netflix special comes out, <laughs> they all come calling. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. So I, what was that Sierra Mist contest? You and made? that was in 2005. So I'm, I was back in Salt Lake City because I was on the road more middling at that point. Mm-hmm. I'd made some connections and I was able to like middle some clubs. 
And so I was driving around middling clubs and doing a mixture of one-nighters and headlining every once in a while. And then I did this, yeah, that year there was this Sierra Mist competition. I don't know. I did it. It was like a weird thing. Just locally, all the cities had these competitions. And then if you won locally, then they sent your audio clip to some people who chose the five finalists. And I got to be selected by based on my audio clip. It was audio, the, not like video It tapes. was audio, but it was the first ever internet voting competition I'd ever seen. And Jim Gaffigan was the face of it. And right, because right, he was doing ads for Sierra Yeah, he was doing ads. And, and um, the prize was you were to go on tour and a, a lot of these dates were with jim gaffigan i ended up doing i won the thing but i only did one week with jim i think and the rest was with uh we did i did a bunch of dates with ari spears and anyway i won that thing yeah they're, was, much, they're far different co- comedians yeah it was interesting but he was, he was doing uh, ari spears serumist promos too at that oh, okay. time i guess um but yeah i won that thing and i also did last comic standing that same year and I also did live at Gotham that same year, or maybe it was a year the next, the after the mm-hmm. CRMS thing. Yeah. Did I you feel like we're being rushed? And yeah, you have more we, questions. Yeah, I have lots more questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'll track you down later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you know, I remember the first time I saw you. I think I wrote something down on the internet about like reminding me of like a young Jerry Seinfeld. Right. Was that was that something that, that you were intentionally going for? Or? No. No, I mean, I loved Seinfeld. I loved Seinfeld. I've always loved Seinfeld. And how could he not be an influence on me? I mean, I grew up at the height of Seinfeld. But, no, I just... I'm Really, to be honest, the first... I, if you had seen me when I was first getting on stage, you'd be like, that guy's trying to be Mitch Hedberg. Oh. Yeah. I was obscure one-liners, and I was delivering them you don't in, drink a, or in a deadpan drugs. way. Yeah. <laughs> but I, You're I, straight edge, Mitch Yeah, Hedberg. yeah. I was... That's who I was trying to be in the mm-hmm. beginning. And, um, but yeah, I, I've gotten the Seinfeld connection, my whole thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is. There's something that people see in me and they go, I'm reminiscent of him somehow. I think and it might've been the vocal. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, even, even now people go, you although s- didn't you, didn't you do a Seinfeld impersonation? Didn't you like lean into it for a second? I had a, a joke. <laughs> It wasn't an impersonation, but I would get people on stage going, he reminds me of Seinfeld, whatever. And so I just, you know how you just have to address some things? I said, I I did a joke. I've never told Jerry this, by the way. (laughs) But I did a joke where I said, uh, I look like the illegitimate son of Jerry and Elaine or a white Chris Rock. (laughs) That's it. So I did both of those. But I didn't do an impression or anything. I just did that. I opened with that. And you've never told Jerry about it? No. But we've had. Have you told Chris? No. <laughs> no. But I used to be terrified that they had a conversation about me because that clip aired on... Comedy Central, didn't On uh, Last Comic Standing, oh, on the promo. Oh. That little thing. <laughs> Ugh. I can't even think about it now. What's it like now, you know, being a regular at the Comedy Cellar and, like, being at the table with all those guys? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's... Um, you know, I don't know them like... This sounds like I know them better than I do, but... You know, I'm around them occasionally, and um, it's great. It's uh, we're spoiled. Just to be able to talk with them about comedy and and, and is so valuable. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the best school that there is. Have you gotten any? Uh, I'll, I'll end with this. Has there been any like good advice you've gotten from any of those guys, or, or stuff that you've learned just from yeah being in that atmosphere? Um, 
this exotic white kid from I'm Idaho. Con- constantly. I'm constantly <laughs> learning things because I just watch them all the time. I mean, it's like learning anything. I just watch them. But in conversation, I mean, I can- nothing really comes to mind right away that sticks out. But I'm constantly just kind of gleaning, you know? Um, I got to open for Seinfeld a couple months ago. And he did a thing that was, was kind of shaped some of what I do where he did an hour. And I wish I'd seen this before my hour. I told him. He did an hour, and he did, like, all stuff that was observational, big, outside-world stuff, like you think of Seinfeld doing. And then halfway through, he kind of went, that's what I do. Um, so now we've talked about kind of the outside world. Maybe you'd like to get to know a little about me. He, d- he did this transition. I don't remember what he said it in a funny way. And then he did another. It's like another show almost. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's a good way to structure things because... I've always I structured my hour like it was a really long late night set where it's just like joke transition joke would try to have no breathing room in there but it's like it's not the right way to do it I think so that's something I learned recently that comes to mind so now that you're have this Netflix special coming out I wish that I would have done that well now but now you have everything is open to you now yeah yeah hopefully we'll see who knows you never know what's going to happen <laughs> I believe in you <laughs> thanks Sean and I look forward to seeing you here next year in Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All Thanks, right. buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> this episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.